Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Sports Plus Podcast. I'm Corey Miller here with Hanny Yates. And Andy Moeller, let's dive right into it this week. We've got the hottest team in hockey on the planet right now in St. Louis and the Blues, who have won seven games in a row, nine of their last ten. I think they own Western Canada now. Uh, it's it's theirs. That's the rules. Uh, they just went in there. I wouldn't say they destroyed them because they were close games, but they came out with a win against Edmonton, Vancouver, and Calgary. Very impressive. Those are good hockey teams, especially Edmonton was at the top of the standings. Uh, but they haven't lost their flair for the dramatic. Every Blues game, it seems, is going to come down to the end, and then they're probably going to blow a lead, and right. then they're probably going to go to overtime, and then David Perron is probably going to score the game-winning goal. <laughs> At least there's a storyline written in case we need it before it even happens. But yeah. it's just so interesting. Four OT games out of the last five David Perron has the OT winner in three of those. He's setting NHL records with that. It's just unbelievable. But that's what you look back at this road trip. None of it was a blowout. You're like, well, how did they win? Well, they blew a lead and then somehow still found a way to win. That's the storyline every single time. I, I'm, You know, they've kind of got me speechless here. And just, you know, it, every night it seems unpredictable, but yet predictable all at the same time. But... Um, you know, I, you would think eventually the mean is gonna is gonna level off. Yeah, right. And, well, you know, and, and they'll they'll come back to come back to earth. But hey, you know, in the meantime, let's stockpile those wins. Yeah, right. I mean, because no, by no means is this just a lucky team. We know they're good. They've got talent, but they've gotten lucky here the last uh, few weeks because they should not have won quite a few of right. these, and they ended up winning them. Right, and we can call it luck or we can call it the way that a Stanley Cup champion defending team plays on a regular night, and really I think that they're just going to find ways to win because the talent's there. What is standing out to me is the fact that Vladimir Tarasenko goes down, Alexander Steen goes down. Not only are those two big presidents, presidents on the ice for your team, but they're also big presences in your locker room as well as a veteran presence in there. So I think it's huge. You can bring in a Zach Sanford, you bring in a Mackenzie McKecker, and you bring in a Della Rose who hasn't had that many opportunities, and you can still find ways to win with all of these younger players. We'll get to Della Rose here, but, I mean, Perron and O'Reilly are really what's impressed me. Those two just love playing to get together. They're on the same vibe. Uh, O'Reilly's leading the team in points now. I, it just seems like uh, not that long ago we're like, okay, O'Reilly's got to step up. Where's O'Reilly been? He's got to get the offense going. Well, he's got the offense going. Him and Perron are clicking, both leading the team in points. It's just fun to watch them together. And in overtime, you just see they know exactly what the other one's going to do. Right. And they're, I, Perron had three of the OT winners, and O'Reilly had the other one, right? Right, 100%. So, yeah, they if, know what they're doing. If you can put words to a look or a glance or, or whatever – you would be describing the chemistry, the kismet, or yeah. whatever it is between those two because right. they know where they're going to be on the ice. And I think O'Reilly gets a certain amount of satisfaction out of finding Perron. And, they and uh, right. they don't line. just uh, dress up as each other well for Halloween. <laughs> they they make it work on the ice, too. Um, so let's get into De La Rose and the Robbie Favre trade, which happened late after that Edmonton game. Man, you know, uh, good for Fabry. He wasn't getting any playing time. It was sad to see him just not on the ice because, you know, he's worked hard to get back. And he's been fairly productive when he's been out there. So it's nice to see him get a chance. But overall, man, this guy was so hyped up and had so much talent and just never put it together like we thought we were going to see because of the injuries in St. Louis. So I am a little sad to see him go. I... 
It's such a hard thing. I don't think that he was ever going to find his mesh here in St. Louis, and I think that Detroit is a great situation for him because he automatically gets traded. He's playing in the top six over there. He's on the power play. Even if he were to get a shot in St. Louis and he were put back into the lineup here, he wasn't going to get power play minutes. He wasn't going to get those extra minutes. He was going to be a third-line guy because the fourth line's a completely different demeanor now, and I just think he was going to be limited to 10 minutes or less every single game, and that was going to be the extent of his potential. He could come back. You never know three points in two games for him with Detroit, but he's getting more opportunity over there, and it could just be a boost of confidence for the time being. I think Doug Armstrong deserves a nice, you know, a nice, uh, you know, bit of kudos or whatever for, you know, putting Robbie in a situation where he's going to be able to go, he's going to be able to get minutes, and he's going to be able to do what he couldn't do here in St. Louis, which you can't come back from devastating injuries like that without having consistent plentiful amounts of, of minutes to, to, you know, find your game again. And now he's going to get that opportunity. So the Blues get Jacob De La Rose back, a big guy who Andy and I have said this a few times. He looks like another Pat Maroon who they want to muck it up in front of the net. That's what I'm seeing. So, I mean, he's played in one game, but right. that seems to be his kind of – his kind of style. Earlier today, he said that he just didn't feel himself yet in that first game. He thinks it's going to take some time to find that chemistry. And you know, in the third line, it's pretty tough. There's not really been an identity to that third line because there's been so many moving parts or they try someone there and then they get injured or Robert Thomas is brought up to the second. Now he's on the top line. It's just all sorts of moving parts. So I think it's going to take some time for him to get adjusted. You mentioned any physicality. I think that he is a bigger body presence. I'm sure Craig Ruby will say, hey, go throw your body against the board, get in on the forecheck and and he's been playing on that line with Sammy Blay, who's that other physical presence. So I think maybe those two on the wings, on the boards, could be a yeah, pretty strong that could line. Be fun. Well, if you have Thomas and you have, uh, you know, as a playmaker, and then you've got that guy like Blay who likes to, you know, get the puck, dig, dig it out of the corner, you need that guy, that net presence in front to kind of complete the complete the circuit and, yeah. and get some of those dirty goals. So, uh, but of course, I mean, they trade Fabry on the same day Steen goes. And I'm start. I immediately started worrying about their depth because I'm like, okay, they've got Fabry still as a healthy scratch if they have to have him back. Oh, he's gone. Oh, okay. And now we've got Tarasenko and Steen out. What are they gonna do? Uh, De La Rose they plugged right in, and then today they made two other moves, kind of, kind of moves. Not even really a move yet. Not technically. Troy Brower's back, and and Jamie McGinn here. Two forwards, two veteran forwards who they brought in on pro tryouts to see if they can stick with with the team, which this tells me two things. Uh, Well, I like this because these guys know they've been around for a long time. They know what they're doing. They know they can plug them in uh, on this team and kind of fill any any need they want. But this also tells me guys like Kairou and Costin and and Walker – they might not be ready to totally bring them up and throw them into the fire yet, which or they don't want to, or they don't, right. which is fine. I'm cool with that. That's all right. So I, I like these moves. I, I don't know. If, do you think they'll sign both these guys at the end, or, or how do you think this is going to shake out? It's hard to tell. Doug Armstrong said maybe we'll sign one, maybe we'll sign two, maybe we'll sign none. It just depends. So they practice for ten days. They don't play in a game. They're only practicing with the team, and they have to prove themselves at the end of ten days if they don't have a contract offered, they can stay with the team practicing, but they have to pay on their own dime for everything at that point. So you're not getting paid. You're paying for everything yourself. It's a tough situation. Both of these guys, it's interesting to me, have been playing in juniors back in the AHL. So you have 
Troy Brower, who's this standout guy who gets the yeah. seventh, you know, in that seventh game against Chicago, 2016 playoffs, wins, gets the game-winning goal, and now all of a sudden he's playing on Calgary's junior team. He, he notched like 13 goals last season with Florida, but it's just so weird how the tables can turn so quickly. I think, if anything, he would be the signing. Yeah. Um, but McGinn has played with four to five of these players on this team. Five years with O'Reilly, there's some chemistry. It could be interesting to see how it works out. I liked I mean, I, I was a huge Troy Brower guy. Well, he came over in that Oshie trade and broke the hearts of every uh, every girl in this entire town <laughs> when TJ Oshie left. And some and me as well. You know, I love TJ Oshie. He's uh, a great player. He, he's a lot of fun. And, and, but I guess it was time for him to move on. It was a great trade for the Blues that year because Troy Brower was great. And without him, you don't have one of the most famous goals in Blues history up until maybe 2019 when we had quite a few more. Uh but I'd love to see Troy Brower back with the Blues in a permanent capacity for this season. And one of the things that he was that he was known for when he was here in his previous uh, previous stint with the Blues was his leadership. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you can never have enough veteran presence in that locker room and and uh, you know and mentors for the young guys that eventually you want to have taking over the team and being the stars. Right. And Corey, going back to what you mentioned with some of the AHL guys potentially not being ready, is Doug Armstrong said. This is an experienced league at this point, and he felt maybe pushing some of the younger players into these positions too early could really change the chemistry of what they have going with this team that has them in first place, yeah. which makes sense. Well, and like guys like Kostin and Kairu, you're probably projecting they're going to be on the top two lines eventually because right. they're like elite talent. So right. maybe don't bring them up and, and stash them at the end here when – you're really building right. them for and a bigger role. And if there's not room now, you don't want to bring up a Klim Kost and say, okay, well, we'll give you a couple minutes here and yeah. there, see if you can fit in on the third line, but then you're really just degrading some of the chances he'd had down below to develop more. Yeah, yeah it's a parallel to, to baseball where you don't want to bring up your hot your your hot prospect and then sit him on the bench for a, yeah. you know for 10 days and then occasionally get an at-bat radio resume. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. All right, let's move on a little bit here. Another exciting story the Fighting Illini football team is bowl eligible for the first time since 2014. Earliest they've been bowl eligible since 2011. Listen, I was watching, I was just like sporadically watching college football on Saturday. And I wasn't really watching Illinois, but I was looking at the score on the bottom. And they were getting whooped. It, what was it, 28-3? to 3? And I'm like, oh, well, there goes all the good Illinois feelings for the year. And I stopped paying attention. And then I'm watching like highlights later. They won. I'm like, are you serious? That did not just happen. Illinois came back with their biggest comeback in school history to beat Michigan State, win four in a row, and become bowl eligible. You know, great and, story. Yeah, and, and when they're down 28-3, to three, my reaction was sort of, you know, it's a nice three-game run, and I don't want to see, you know, say, you know, well, same old Illini, but, you know, hey, this is a three-game winning streak to build on. It's Michigan State. You could kind of, you could kind of, you know, say, well, I and understand. Yeah, you know, right. And, but, you know, Boy, you're right. When I saw that they had won, wow. From your guys' opinion, does this come down to the level of talent on this team? Does this come down to really just the team buying into the message, I, buying into the coaching, and really just yeah. the system? I think they're just sick of losing. I, I think that's I'm, that's a pretty <laughs> pretty uh, bland response. I think they're just tired of it. They're yeah. like, you know what? This year's going to be different, but we got some exciting guys in here. Uh, Lovey's had some years to, to work with that system, and I think it's just finally paying off. I think Lovey's finally got his players yeah. in there now. Right. And, you know, based on you know, my memories of him here with the, the – who wouldn't want to play for a guy yeah. like Lovey Smith? 
you know, he's a solid person, and, and I think this is what the AD, Josh Whitman, who used to be at Wash U, kind of envisioned when he hired Lovey. This is the this is the kind of guy you want to build a program. Did you around. see those two with the hug at, at the end? That was pretty cool. Yes, um, it was. And they've got some good transfers, too. Brandon Peters has been really good at quarterback. We were all wondering, uh, okay, is it, when are we going to see Isaiah Williams? Right. We're figuring the line I are going to have a bad year, and we're going to see the, the Trinity guy get in there. He, I, I don't know if they officially redshirted him yet or not. He played just a little bit in the first couple games, but he's done. Brandon Peters has been great. 16, 16 touchdowns, 1,400 yards, five interceptions. Another transfer at uh, wide receiver. I think I'm going to say his name right. Josh Amador Bebe. He's pretty it's good. It's a tough one. That is a tough one. Easy for you. He was a big. <laughs> he was a big time recruit. Last names I've ever seen. He he's got nine touchdowns, averaging twenty yards a catch. Uh, he's really like their go-to guy. I don't think anybody else on the team has more than like two or three rece- receiving touchdowns. So two transfers leading the way for Illinois. But I'm going and I'm looking at their schedule, and it could have been even better. They lost to Eastern Michigan yep. by three, and then they lost to uh, no, not Wisconsin, Nebraska by three. Yeah. Right. So they could have two more wins, and they could be really sitting pretty here. Well, you know, one of you would think that one of those two wins is maybe where you had that breaking point to what you talked about earlier, Corey, where they're bad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Yeah. You know, that that was the one where we're just not going to let this happen anymore. And they've got, so they got Iowa and Northwestern coming up. Iowa was ranked just this last week, and I think they're pretty good. So that could be a tough one. Right. But they should beat Northwestern, I think. Uh, so there's a chance they get seven wins here, which would, man, that's that's it a really nice season. It would be huge for that program. And I think what's noticeable out on the field is even if they're down by some points in a game, you don't see any lack in effort. With yeah. some teams this year, you're like, oh, you just oh, see I don't a know sense you're of talk- defeat, I don't which know I'm you're- sure we'll be getting to <laughs> that too. What are you too. talking about? But it, you can, there's a sense of respect for the coaching staff. You can sense the effort. There's There's just that drive to want to win these games and come back. Here's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping Illinois makes like the Bahamas Bowl, and you know we all just convince Frank and the rest of the the station. <laughs> We're gonna need a full crew to cover Illinois in the Bahamas Bowl. We need to go all access. We gotta go all access. Would not be mad. We may have to get sent down a week early for early coverage too. <laughs> I like that. All right, that's enough fun. Let's talk about Missouri. Um, shut out. Fun killer. Shut out. Twenty-seven to nothing against Georgia. Coming into the year, this was. This was it. Oh, we're 8-0 eight, eight no into Georgia. Maybe 7-1, but it could be 8-0 no going into Georgia. Huge marquee matchup. This is it. Both are going to be ranked. Prime time game. Nope. I barely even no. watched. I, I want to say, for the record, I was a pessimist early, and I never got on that bandwagon saying they were yeah. going to go 8-0. No. I just did not see that happening it, for that part of the season. It's just it's tough. It's really tough to watch right now. And you have guys like Albert O., who are these standouts in the beginning of, of some games, and all of a sudden you just don't even realize no. that he's on the field for the rest of it. No. There's a lack of effort. There's a lack of discipline, which is one of the biggest components that you saw even against Georgia this past weekend. Listen, I, I thought the defense played. I watched a little bit. I couldn't help myself. Uh, I did get mad and turn it <laughs> off eventually. Uh, I thought the defense was okay. Uh, they were holding Georgia to a lot of field goals. But, you know, Kelly Bryant hurt. You got to throw Taylor Powell oh. out there for his first start against number six Georgia on the road. Can you imagine? <laughs> it went about as well as you'd think. Well, Honestly, yeah. yeah. At some at some point, it's demoralizing as a defense to, you know, yeah. be spilling your guts out there, and then you know you have you know you have basically, you know, four plays and okay, time to get back out there again and let's keep holding them. You know, the the dam bursts at some point. So they could still get to six wins. They've got five. They've got. 
uh, Florida, Tennessee, and Arkansas. I mean, right now they're going to get killed by Florida, I think. And then I'm uh, embarrassed because I talk a lot of trash on Tennessee, but I think Tennessee is going to beat Mizzou too. But Arkansas is in worse position than Missouri is, so I think they pull that one out at the end on senior day and and try and come out uh, with a win there to get to six wins. But it might not even matter because right. we still haven't heard officially on, on an appeal. But I, I doubt I doubt they're going to even right. grant. It doesn't yeah, matter. At, at this point, yeah. Right. Well, the one thing, you know, even with Arkansas is not only are they at the bottom of the SEC, they've already let their coach go. They have. Right. How Speaking will we remember the Chad Morris era? Speaking of letting their coach go, a lot of angry Mizzou fans, it seems like it happens every year, which it kind of does, that want Barry Odom gone, and, and they're loud. They're getting louder and louder as it's going along here. And I mean, they've got a valid point. I mean, Barry Odom has never really won a big game at Mizzou. He beat Florida once, and I don't even think Florida was ranked at Florida, which is a good win. That's the best win of his entire time there. And he loses the games that you have to win. So I love Barry Odom, but there is valid point for him being on the hot seat. Right. I don't think it's going to happen, but. I think the the chatter is warranted. It's hard to tell, and if the, Mizzou would only end up getting six wins this season, then it's definitely a valid point because obviously that is not a successful season. That's what I was trying to think about. Is there anything that Mizzou can do or a number of wins they can get where you say, okay, this was a very successful season, or is that kind of already turned and ah, you can't gone. reach that point anymore? Well, especially with the schedule they had. This was such an easy schedule Easiest. for being in the SEC. I mean, come on. You got you got to make hay against a schedule like this. And a five-game homestand? Yeah. That's unheard of in college right. football. And well, this, they did okay. They did they, okay they, there. They, they did they <laughs> did fine there, but right. But um, you know, the thing that that, that uh, you know, you, you you can't count on Kelly Bryant being hurt. Yeah. The whole NCAA cloud that's hanging over you. You know, those are things that a coach can't control. Uh, I get that. But yet a coach has also got to be able to get his Get the players to rally around you and to continue to play and, and spill their guts regardless of what's going on. And yeah. I just don't know that he's been able to do that. Uh, starting right. at Vanderbilt, this team just had no life it's at all. It's been a downhill spiral ever since. It's tough. But the other part I wanted to get into with him is after the season's over, regardless of how many wins this team gets, recruiting becomes a factor mm-hmm. again. And we've already seen, I know we're going to get into some high school football as well, but you talk about Antonio Doyle, an All-American linebacker here in St. Louis, commits to Mizzou, then decommits to Mizzou. What are his other options? Well, Illinois yeah. and Texas A&M. That's what he's narrowed his 32 offers down to. I mean, it's just a huge part. If you can't win your in-state guys, it's only going to get worse. Well, Doyle decommitted before Mizzou even started looking oh, like yeah. garbage, so... Uh, man, that would be really something. Barry had had, had a good uh, he's had a good recruiting run here. He's got names people are excited about. Uh, he, people are it seemed like recruits are starting to buy in. They like him, and, and so I think that's part of the reason they'll keep him around. But if there are some of those local guys that are looking right now in the moment at Mizzou and Illinois, and they were maybe going between the two, oh, Lovey might be able to pick some of these guys off. Right. You know, and and you know that the that kids talk, and they, and they pay attention to things. And when you see, you know, that a month ago Illinois was two and four, Mizzou was five and one, and ranked, and now all you know the tables have completely flipped. Yeah, and kids pay attention to that. Yeah, kids want to play past college. They want to play in the NFL. Yeah, what is the program that's going to put them in the best position to do so? Right now, it's not looking like Mizzou. So. I don't think Barry Odom's getting fired, um, and I don't. I don't really think he should. Uh, so that's that's what I'm going. Especially okay. Here's the even bigger reason. 
who are you going to get? Like, I, I mean, who's out there that's like a huge – I don't understand what they would do. Uh, so that's part of it too. So I don't think Barry Odom's going anywhere. What is your guys' gut feeling here? Do you think he's back next year? Yes, I think he is, and I think it's for precisely the reason you just brought up. Who are you going to get that's going to do yeah. any better? And in the past, you see Mizzou hasn't been super high paying towards their head coaches. So I think that's going to come into play as well. There's not really an option out there. First of all, an option that makes sense with this program, but also an option where you're like, okay, could we even afford that? Yeah. I think that's a, that's a situation that comes into it as well. Could they afford it? Yes. Will they spend the money on it? Probably this is, not. This is a university that hired a search firm to tell them to hire Kim Anderson. Yep. So. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, uh, last thought here. High school football playoffs we've been covering the last few weeks. Uh, a lot of really good teams around here. I just want to get everybody's thoughts on, on who's a team that's really stood out to them that they've liked covering and uh, they think can take it all the way. Hannah, you want you me like? to start? Yeah. There's two that I've covered that have really stuck out to me, and I've thoroughly enjoyed following the games and the athletes on that team. First is Lutheran North, and granted these are both successful teams with top-tier talent, but I think that's what goes into it. You have Antonio Doyle, who I've mentioned, who is just unstoppable. Like, you look at him on the field, and he's noticeable. He is a D1 college player. He's fantastic to watch, but there's so many components to that team. And, of course, Carl Reed coaching that team, I think that's a huge factor that plays into it as well. That team's fun to watch. And, Corey, you you got to go on Friday. It's been a blowout in the first quarter. Poor poor Cuba. I felt really bad because that's a long way away. Oh, yeah. And they had their parents come all the way there, and uh, they had a decent amount of people there. And it was, I'm not, this is not an exaggeration. It was 20 to nothing, two and a half minutes into the game. Yes. There was a punt, there was an opening kickoff return, the ensuing punt was returned, and then they stopped him on three downs and scored an offensive touchdown. Yes. Well, I hope they found a good restaurant to eat so at on I. their way I back felt, to back I felt to really Cuba. bad for those, for yeah. Cuba. But yeah, Luther North is just, just dominating. Nobody's even close to them. Right, they are. And the second one, of course, was Roosevelt. And I've got to go see them on Saturday afternoons. It's just been a blast, honestly. Both of their games, Alonzo Smith has been absolutely fantastic. Both ways have been really good offense, better than defense for most of the time that I've been there. But they have guys who can just run the ball nonstop. No matter who they throw the ball to, they're going to score a touchdown. Yeah. And those games have been unmatched as well. Andy, who do you like? Well, I would say there's two names that stick out. One, uh, you know, is, is Marquette. I really they're having a his, an yes. historic season out there, yes. and and I I think they're a really good story. And you know they they're not listening to anybody that says, hey, you guys aren't supposed to be doing this. Yeah, right. So I really like that. Now there's another school that I I really I mean they're playing they're winning with great defense, and that's Zumwalt North. And again, it's it's a school that's not in the you know in the the, the mainstream mm-hmm. or whatever. And I think they kind of use that to their advantage. I think they really want to. Want to make a you know have a showing this year and and show people hey we shouldn't be overlooked and so far, you know they uh, we had a photographer go there the other night and he goes what was it sixty three to nothing I think by the time <laughs> I got there, well that was a bit of an exaggeration yeah. but they did win sixty three to fourteen man, wow. uh, well I'm gonna take the low hanging fruit and talk about Smet. Uh, this they're uh, it's gonna be a historic season I think they've got they just beat CBC for the second time this year. That doesn't happen very often to a CBC team. DeSmet hadn't beat CBC since 2012 coming into this year. Now they beat him twice this season. Uh, this Steeples, Robert Steeples, the head coach at DeSmet, has been there for a few years now. He's got everything how he wants it. And this roster is senior-laden, and it's just stacked from top to bottom. they got a three-headed monster at running back who, this is what they did in the cold, 
uh, just the other day against CBC. They're just going to run it down your throat, and they're going to wear you down, and it's going to hurt. And they've got three guys who are all really good, so it doesn't matter who they put in there. They're just going to run you over. they got Francis Howell this next week. Uh, that should be a pretty good one. I've seen Francis Howell play twice this year, and they've got a good offense as well. So this should be a really good matchup for districts, but I think this is DeSmet's year, and they're a lot of fun to watch. I mean, I think this was – I don't know if they would have done this if it wasn't a rivalry game, but to put the game away this past Friday, they threw a uh, they threw a flea flicker uh, just to rub it in, I think, to get that one extra touchdown. I think they're tanning off to one of their great running backs. Oh, no, nope, flea flicker, end zone touchdown, and that, the student section went crazy, and it was a lot of fun. So – DeSmet, uh, I think this is the year. They're undefeated. I think they stay undefeated all the way through state championship. It would not surprise me. No, they've, they've got some great athletes. That sure. uh, My little rant there was not sponsored by Frank Cusimano, former <laughs> Spartan, as that might come as a surprise. Yeah. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of the Sports Plus Podcast. We'll have a new one for you next week. You can check out some of our Sports Plus Rewinds with Mike Bush in the meantime. Our last episode was a great look back on a conversation with the legendary John Wooden. Well, it was really cool. Uh, you're going to want to listen to that one. Be sure to download, subscribe, rate, and review us as well. We'll be back next week.